Good morning. My name is Stuart Mazel. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, so today is our last day in this series, uh, Tell Me Something Good. I did have one person tell me that they didn't want this series to end, but all good things have to come to an end at some time, except for what we're going to talk about today. We've talked about a lot of good things. What I'm going to talk about today is almost indescribable. But we'll do our best to try to explain what God has in store for those who love him. We're going to be looking at Romans 8, verses 18 through 21. Let me remind you that this is Paul writing to the church in Rome. But the Holy Spirit is the one who's guiding him along to write these words so that it's not just for them, it's for us today. And here's what Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says in Romans 8, 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Let me pray for us. Once again, Lord, uh, we need you. We need our imaginations expanded, our minds to be open to hear and to receive this incredibly good news. Again, would you lift our eyes to be able to see past our present sufferings, our present frustrations, our present difficulties, to see the glory that awaits us. And for each and every one of us, would you produce real living faith that we would not only believe that you can forgive us, but that we would believe that you give us a destiny that is beyond our comprehension. Sink that down deep into our souls today for your glory, for our good, and even for the good of the people around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I began this series with a list of things that were going on at the very beginning of the year about how bad things were to try to set us up for how good the sort of in the same way, just giving you a glimpse of how bad things can be to a certain extent. It, sometimes people ask me why I believe what I believe. And there's a lot of ways to answer that question. I, I could go on for a long, long time about that. But there is one thing that even when I doubt, even when I struggle with unbelief, 
Uh, there's one thing that I keep coming back to that I go, okay, well, that's true. And if that's true, at least I can go to the next level. And you know what that one thing is? That we live in a fallen world. I, all kinds of religions say all kinds of things. But in, in the Christian faith, what we see is that the scriptures are very, very explicit about just how bad things can be here in this life. That sin and its curse has affected everything. And it doesn't take long to see it. Even if you were stranded on a deserted island, you'd probably start arguing with yourself. Because that's just how things are. I was uh, reading, in preparation for this sermon, I was reading various uh, various sources, and I came across this quote from Matt Ridley, I think is how you say his name, in the book The Rational Optimist. And I think this quote kind of captures where we've been in some ways. He says, the airwaves are crammed with doom. In my own adult lifetime, I have listened to implacable predictions of growing poverty, coming famines, expanding deserts, imminent plagues, impending water wars, inevitable oil exhaustion, mineral shortages, thinning ozone, acidifying rain, nuclear winters, mad cow epidemics, Y2K computer bugs, killer bees, global warming, ocean acidification, and even asteroid impacts. I cannot recall a time when one or other of these scares was not solemnly espoused by sober, distinguished, and serious elites and hysterically echoed by the media. Right? That's the world we live in. And part of the reason why we live in that world is because this world is fallen. We can't escape it. Things can get really bad here. But here's the good news. No matter how bad things are in this life, the life to come is better than anything we can imagine. That's what we want to talk about today. No matter how bad things are in this life, the life to come is better than anything we can imagine. Let's take a look at what Paul says, again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, verse 18. He starts off by saying, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So he's setting up the, here's what it's like in the present. It's kind of rough. And this is what we get to look forward to in the future. And basically what he says is, you know what, we're not even comparing apples with apples, right? That it's, it's not even the same thing. The present-day sufferings and the glorious joy of the age to come, they're not like comparing an apple with an apple. Now, in our family, we like to eat apples, 
And for a time there, we were going through all of the, not all of the apples, a lot of the different apples that are sold in this area to see which apple we like the best. And I think we've come up with the envy apple is our favorite. But we're not comparing apples with apples when we're talking about this. It's not the same. This is more like comparing a speck of dust to the entire universe. That's what this is like, is what Paul is trying to say. In another passage, in 2 Corinthians 4.17, he backs this up a little bit and says some more empowering words for us to look at our future. Listen to what he says in 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Listen to the contrast that he's making there. On the one side, you have light, not heavy at all, versus weight. On the one hand, you have momentary. It's just for a moment. On the other hand, you have the eternal. It lasts forever. On the one hand, you have affliction. On the other, you have glory. This light, momentary affliction is getting us ready for an eternal weight of glory. And what kind of things is Paul thinking of when he says light, momentary afflictions? That's, this is something that's always interested me. What does Paul think is a light, momentary affliction? See, for me, a light, momentary affliction is... Like maybe I stub my toe and the pain goes away after a few minutes. That's a light momentary affliction. Here's what Paul calls light momentary affliction. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and 28. Listen to this. Light momentary afflictions. Five times, Paul says, I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. In other words... They put him down and they took a whip and they lashed him 39 times on his back. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. And that does not mean he was taking drugs. That means they took him outside and they picked up rocks and they threw the rocks at him. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And I love how he adds this on the end. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me, on me, of my anxiety for all the churches. That is what Paul calls light, momentary affliction. Wow. So if he's saying that is light and momentary, 
and it's getting us ready for something that has the weight of eternal glory. What in the world would that look like? I mean, 2 Corinthians 4.17, again, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And, and I, I will admit, all this week I'm thinking, how do I describe beyond all comparison? How can it be done? Here, here's my best shot at it. It's probably not going to hit for all of you, but it at least gives me an inkling of what it looks like. When we think of dimensions, we, we think usually in terms of three, right? There's length, there's height, and there's depth. You following me? This is going to get really technical really fast. So think of the three dimensions this way. The first dimension is like a line. So there's a line. Pretty easy, right? That's like one dimension. The second dimension is like a square. The third dimension is a cube. Okay? Now, if we tried to illustrate a fourth dimension, we would have to cube the cube. Okay? What, that's called a hypercube, or what uh, Paul wanted me to say, a tesseract. Not Paul the Apostle, Paul the guy back there. <laughs> and that is trying to attempt what a cubed cube might look like. Okay? Now, according to theoretical physics, and superstring theory, which I don't know anything about, there could be up to 10 dimensions. Okay? Now follow this. So according to superstring theory, to illustrate the 10th dimension, we would have to start by cubing the hypercube, which I cannot show you what that would look like. And then you would have to cube that cubed cube and then you would have to cube that cubed 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 and then you would have to cube that cubed 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 and then you would have to cube that cube 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 and you see how it goes on and on and on until you get something that is beyond your ability to actually comprehend okay that is what God has in store for us. So beyond anything we can even imagine. It's like trying to cube a cubed, 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 cube. It's so far beyond our feeble brains, we can't even begin to understand it. That's why, that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. I can imagine some pretty amazing things, but God says nobody has even come close to imagining what it's going to be like when we're face to face with God Almighty and there's nothing hindering our relationship with Him. 
Tell me that's not some good news. The best description that we have, and even this doesn't quite get it, is from Revelation chapter 21. And I'm going to read this quickly. I wish I could spend more time on it, but I just want you to see this is the closest representation of what this is going to look like that we can get. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He, that is God himself, will dwell with them and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. And neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. I don't know about you, but when I start thinking about what would it be like to have a day without any pain, any sorrow, anything to worry about, that's actually hard for me to imagine. Because we're so used to having all this pain in our lives. We're so used to having all these things to worry about. We're so used to seeing all these sad things in our lives, but all those things will be done away with and there will only be joy and righteousness and peace and love forever and ever. That's what God has for us. But there's something that, more that I need to point out. Because, again, we live in a fallen world, and we're fallen people. And so you know what fallen people do? They make everything about themselves. We have this ongoing kind of joke in my family, at least Donna and I, about um, we're having a conversation, Donna will say something, and I'll say, oh, well, I've had that happen to me. She says, this isn't about you, Stuart. <laughs> we're not talking about you. We're talking about me right now. And I, had to, I got to play that on her the, uh, the past week, which was kind of fun. But anyway, that's what we do. Whenever someone starts telling us their story, we make it about us somehow, don't we? We're like, oh, you've got that story? Well, let me tell you my story. And, and in some ways, it's, we're trying to connect, and I understand that. But in other ways, we do like to make things about ourselves, and we don't see the bigger picture. There's something better than just me. Listen to this. The glory of the age to come does not merely encompass people. Doesn't just encompass me and you. It encompasses creation itself. The, the glory of the age to come isn't just about me or you or people all around the world. No, it is about creation itself. Again, verse 18 and then following. Paul starts off, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And then he says, 
the creation itself, verse 19, waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, the curse of sin doesn't just affect us, it affects the entire creation. And the creation is groaning, waiting for the day to be set free. And then in verse 20, the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. Now he's talking about God there. God is the one who put this curse upon the world because of sin. But he did so in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Boy, that's exciting to think that not just me, not just you, but creation itself will be changed, transformed. It will be new and there will be no corruption, nothing that will hinder our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and our relationship with creation itself. As uh, the passage that I read from uh, Revelation chapter 21 says in the next verse, verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making a few things new. Is that what it says? What does it say? What does the passage say? All things. All things. All creation from those little microbes that you can't see to entire galaxies. All things are being made new. And, and just because we as people, we hear that and say, that sounds too good to be true. That can't be true. I really do believe that this is why the Holy Spirit inspired these next words. Let's look at this verse again with the rest of the verse. He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Yeah, you might doubt that God is making all things new, but he's saying, Look, I'm God, and I'm telling you, this is trustworthy. You can bring it to the bank and you can take it all out and it's all yours because it is trustworthy and true. And that's why I have this written down so that everybody would be able to look in the scriptures and say, this is what God says. I am making all things, all things new. Not just me, not just you, all things. That's amazing. Uh, in the book Surprised by Hope, N.T. Wright says it this way, and I, this is a lengthy quote, but I think it's helpful for us. To suppose that we are saved, as it were, for our own private benefit, which is sort of what the sin nature does, isn't it? It's all about me. To suppose that we are saved, as it were, for our own private benefit, for the restoration of our own relationship with God, vital though that is, and for our eventual homecoming and peace in heaven, misleading though that is, is like a boy being given a baseball bat as a present and insisting that since it belongs to him, he must always and only play with it in private. 
But of course, you can only do what you're meant to do with a baseball bat when you're playing with other people. And salvation only does, not, does what it's meant to do when those who are being saved are who have been saved, are being saved, and will one day fully be saved, realize that they, are not, that they are saved not as souls, but as wholes. W-H-O-L-E-S. And not for themselves alone, but for what God now longs to do through them. See, it's not just about where I go in the future. It's about where the whole creation goes. And God wants every one of us to be involved in that creating all things new by believing it, trusting him, and acting as if that is our future. Because it is. And when creation itself is set free from sin and its curse, there will be unlimited joy unlimited joy. Now, I know it's really hard for Presbyterians to understand what unlimited joy would be like because it's hard for us to understand what limited joy is like. But I will say this. Unlimited is unlimited. It's eternal. It's ever-growing. The more we get into the glory of God, the more we see what he's like, the more we fall in love with him and his ways, we will be full of joy. And in the age to come, there is nothing that will hinder that. Nothing. We won't have spiritual ADHD like we have today. good and right and beautiful because we'll be focused on our God. Again, Paul says, verse 18, Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Remember, this is the glory of God himself being revealed to Verse 19, the creation is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. I think about it this way. You know, when I was a kid, I loved Christmas time because Christmas time was when I got my toys. I loved it, but I didn't like waiting. Anybody there with me not like to wait? So it would be around November time. I'm like, oh. Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming. And I'm waiting 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 and I'm waiting. And then it's like December 1st. Like, come on, Christmas, hurry up. I kind of feel like that's the way creation is right now, groaning. Hurry up. I can't wait to be set free. Again, verse 20 and 21, for the creation itself was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. As Americans, we really value our freedom, right? Now, some of us have been in other countries that don't have the same freedoms that we have. We take our freedom for granted often. If we were in another country where we didn't have the same freedoms, 
And then we came back here, we would be like, oh, wow. That is the kind of freedom that gives joy, right? This freedom is even better than that freedom. The freedom that God gives, the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We get everything and we get to enjoy everything, including God himself. How can you get a deal that's better than that? And I love what J.I. Packer says in his book, Concise Theology. He says, hearts on earth may say in the course of a joyful experience, I don't want this ever to end but invariably it does. The hearts of those in heaven will say, I want this to go on forever. And it will. You think about that. I want this feeling to go on forever. And it will. Forever. This all-surpassing goodness of the age to come, the all-surpassing, all the surpassing goodness of the age to come will be the eternal experience of those who believe in Christ. If you believe in Jesus, the experience that you will have is this all Verse 18 again, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And it is, and what is that glory like? 2 Corinthians 4, 17, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal, an everlasting weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look, if you believe in Jesus, hear the words of Jesus himself. John 6.40, this is the will of my Father, that everyone, everyone, every single person who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And the eternal life is this life that we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. Life that is full of goodness. Life that is full of joy. Life that has nothing that will hinder us from really enjoying abundant life with God. I can't, I can't say it any better than what uh, Randy Alcorn said in his book, Heaven. We'll experience all the best of human relationships with none of the worst. The burdens and tragedies of life will be lifted from us. We'll be free of what displeases God and damages relationships. No abortion clinics or psychiatric wards. No missing children. No rape or abuse. No drug rehabilitation centers. No bigotry, muggings or killings. No worry, depression or economic downturns. No wars, no unemployment. No anguish over failure and miscommunication. No pretense or wearing masks. No cliques. No hidden agendas, backroom deals, betrayals, secret ambitions, plots or schemes. 
Imagine mealtimes full of stories, laughter, and joy without fear of insensitivity, inappropriate behavior, anger, gossip, lust, jealousy, hurt feelings, or anything that eclipses joy. That will be heaven. And that will be the eternal experience of those who believe in Jesus. Did you hear what I just said? That is the experience of all of you who believe for eternity. So your action point, believe. (laughs) Believe. Believe this good news. Believe the good news of how God in Christ is making all things new. He is doing it, so believe it. And you might be saying, well, Stuart, if that's all there is to it, if that's all, I mean, just believe, that, that can't be right, can it? There's got to be more to it than that. I'm just telling you what the scriptures say, okay? Those who believe have this. Now, those who believe will also have some other things that will come along with it. Right? If we really do believe this, we'll act like it. We will behave like it. We will live like it. But it's got to start with, I actually believe it. Second thing that I want to point out before we move on is, (laughs) I have had people tell me, Stuart, why are you talking so much about the future? We got to deal with stuff today. And then they'll say something like this. You know, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Now, no one's ever said those words to me. I mean, I I hear you guys going, oh, no. No one's ever said those exact words, but that's the sentiment. You're pointing us to a future, but I got to deal with today. Let me leave you with the words of C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. If you're thinking that, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Believe. Believe this is true. And if you're believing that it's true, it will change the way you interact with the world around you right here, right now. Guarantee it. The real question is, do you believe it? And if you don't, 
ask the Holy Spirit for help to believe. And so by faith and by the work of the Spirit, let's rejoice. Let's rejoice in the destiny that Christ has secured for those of us who believe. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Father, I know that uh, all the things that have been said today are really hard for cynical minds to swallow. It's, it's hard for me to truly believe that all this is really trustworthy and true. But you've said it. You cannot lie. So, would you work in my heart and help me in my own unbelief to overcome it and to believe? And would you work in all of these folks that whatever level of unbelief that they have in their own hearts, that you would bring them out of that unbelief and bring them into more of the glory that you have for them in Christ that they would see the beauty of Jesus, the beauty of what we have to come, and that they would leave everything else behind in order to have that, knowing that it is really a gift that you've given to us freely of your grace. Make that true so that we will not be those who are so we're not earthly good, that we would be those who are so heavenly minded to change the world we live in for the better. And we ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen.